get something to write with. I want you to take some notes today. I think that there is something here. It's, there's, there's something here that God is going to speak to us. The man that was used who started smuggling Bibles into communist countries during the Cold War all over Europe through, these, through the Iron Curtain was a man named Brother Andrew. His, his, his dealings with all this is found in the book God's Smuggler, where Brother Andrew, at 27 years old, felt that God put on his heart that the Word of God needed to go through into these countries where the Bible was outlawed, with Christianity was outlawed, um, that you weren't just dealing with a, a select few of communist countries like you are today, but much of the Iron Curtain at this time was, was the Bible was outlawed. And at 27 years old, Brother Andrew started smuggling Bibles through the borders. He, he wrote in his book, he would get in his, his light blue VW van packed with Bibles, throw a blanket over it, and would get to the border um, where these guards would be there with, with uh, machine guns and, and automatic weapons. And I love the prayer he would pray. He said he would, he would pray this prayer, Lord, when you were on earth, you made blind eyes see. Now I'm asking you to make seeing eyes blind as he would bring Bibles into these countries. How Brother Andrew started is so important. This is what he said. He said these words that he wrote down. He said, God, whenever, wherever, however you want me, I'll go. I'll, and I'll begin, I love this part, this very minute, Lord, as I stand up from this place and as I take my first step forward, will you consider this a step toward the complete obedience to you? And then this part, I'll call it the step of yes. I'll call it the step of yes. And little did Brother Andrew know that Bibles would begin to infiltrate not only all of Eastern Europe and all of these countries, but little did he know that just before he died, that God every step was taking him to one of the most important things. When he said yes, and he said, I'll begin, Lord God, this very minute, his, one of his final steps before he died was Brother Andrew wanted to bring in one million Bibles in a shipment, one million Bibles to the underground church in China. One, so he secretly had Thomas Nelson begin to print one million Chinese Bibles. Thomas Nelson gave him 232 tons of Bibles they put on a ship in California. And as the underground church was exploding in China, Brother Andrew was right there and brought one million Bibles into the underground church in China. And God shortly took him home. But think of these words. I'll begin this very minute. I'll call it the step of yes. These are words of obedience. When someone asks, and this is what I want you to hear today, and I want to take off from this point. When someone asks Brother Andrew, is it dangerous to do what you're doing? I love this. Listen to his words. Of course it's dangerous, but it's a lot more dangerous if we don't do what God is asking. Of course it's it, but it's more dangerous that when God asks us something and we don't do it. That those words came to my heart and mind as I read this passage in Acts 8. It's about the first missionary, the first man in the Bible called an evangelist, and his name is Philip. First evangelist, first missionary, and that's what I thought about. This step of yes. The, the, I'll begin this very minute. The immediacy of it. That, that no explanation needed, just a moving into yes. Brothers, Brother Andrew's statement of that danger made me ponder, just before we read two verses, it made me ponder this question. What was at stake with this man, Philip, the first missionary, the first evangelist of the church? What was at stake if verse 27, his step of yes, isn't the response to verse 26. I want you to listen to it. Here's what it says. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go to south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And I love what it says here. 
So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch. Listen to the words again. Get up and go, and the response is, so he got up and went. That was Philip's step of yes. That was his brother Andrew moment. Those words are so important and should challenge all of us. It sure did challenge me because here's what I've learned over the years. Get this down. Don't ask God to guide your steps if you're not willing to move your feet. Don't ask God for direction if you're not willing to take those next steps. See, Philip moved his feet and he moved them fast. And that's why I'm going to challenge you to move your feet fast today. Because where Philip was and where Philip was supposed to or expected to be has had global impact to this very day. What That step of yes, really, what, would, what Philip was being asked to do, I want you to get this, it was way bigger than he ever thought. That step was much larger. It, on paper, listen to me now, Times Square Church, on paper, it seemed like a step from Samaria to a desert road leading to Gaza. That's what it looked like on paper. But in the spirit, in God's eyes, and in God's plan, it was way bigger than he could ever imagine. And honestly, I believe every step of obedience we take for God is way bigger than we can ever imagine. That's why I love this parenthesis that makes this even, even so much more challenging to me. When in 826, it says, this is a desert road. It just throws that in there. It was as if God goes, here's where I'm asking you to go, Philip. I'm asking you to begin to go down to this, to this, to this place, to this desert, to this uh, Gaza. But all of a sudden, it, it goes, God's beginning to speak to him and says, this is even more amazing because there is this parenthesis makes Philip's yes so powerful because it's a contrast from where Philip is to where Philip is being sent. Because Philip is in urban, he's in, he's in an urban city called uh, uh, Samaria. And not just in an urban city, it's bustling with revival. Multitudes are being born again, and I'll show it to you. Being baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit. And then God says, leave all the people and go to a desert road. That's what makes this amazing. This is, this is his step of yes. But once again, on paper, it doesn't make sense. But in the spirit, God knows exactly what he's doing. Because God was asking Philip to move from the exciting and the thing that's comfortable to move to the unknown. A friend of our ministry and a friend of ours here, for some of you that are in this place, is a great pastor in Washington, D.C., Mark Batterson, who said it like this. He said, the key to spiritual growth is the willingness to go out of your way for God. You will find God in uncomfortable places at inconvenient times. But if you go out of your way for God, God will go out of his way for you. Hallelujah. That's what God does. See, but here's the part. Don't miss this, Times Square Church. Some of you need to hear this part. In order for Philip to go forward, Philip had to go down. And I believe down is, is not just geographical, though it is. I think down is a humble place. I think this is not just geographical that he's supposed to go south, but the Bible says he is supposed to go down. I believe God was teaching us something here. He was saying, in order to get with, you're going to have to get depth. In order for this to be expansive, I'm going to need you to go downward because it was bigger than he ever thought. This is for somebody here today because down for some or those that are faced with the decision of humility, that in order to, to, for, for growth to come, there's, gonna, there's going to be a down part. Down for some could be positionally. Down for some could be as simple as an apology. What I'm saying to you is this. I knew people even questioned me when, when we, Cindy and I, for many, many, many years held a, 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 a senior position in, in Midwest America, and all of a sudden, God's voice was leading us 
to take lesser roles for almost a decade. Choose this, choose this, choose this, choose this. That I had people that were in the role that I was in going like, what are you doing? That's not what you're supposed to do. That's No, you hit it. You're on it. You're there. You're there. And, and, and here's what's amazing. Because what men interpret as down, God is interpreting as wise. Let me explain to you. It's God saying to us, here's the best way I can say it. It's God with a bow in his hand. When men look at it, it looks like he's bringing you backwards. He's just putting tension on the arrow because this thing is about to shoot somewhere faster. So in men's eyes, you're going, hey, you're going backwards. That's, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do that. And God goes, if I can get you lower, if I can pull you back, I can get you to where you need to be faster than you can ever think. And I've seen God do it. Why does this happen? See, when there is a great work ahead, sometimes the first step towards it is a lower step. When God is seeing something greater ahead that, that we, think cor we think corporate, our mind goes, it goes like this. But sometimes in the kingdom, it goes like this. What are you talking about, Pastor Tim? I don't even have this in my notes, but um. But listen, this is the one o'clock. Whatever happens at the one o'clock, you never know what God's going to do. And if you showed up at the 10, then you missed it. But here's, here's what happens. Listen, you want to see how God does this? Let me read it to you. It's Philippians chapter 2. Here's what it says. This is, this is the work of God. This is Jesus going lower. It goes like this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ. Though he existed, watch this now, in the form of God, he's up here, God has something he wants to do. So in order to do it, he's got to send him south from heaven to earth. He says this, he didn't regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped. Here it comes, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a bondservant made in the likeness of man, found in the appearance. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Folks, did you see? That's south. He is in heaven with God the Father. And God, go, and God keeps telling him, empty yourself. Servant, likeness of man. Become obedient to the point of death. And the worst kind of death, the cross. Here it comes. It, he wasn't going low. He was being pulled back like an arrow. What happens? Listen to the next verse. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name which is above every single name. That what he was saying to him is this. If you follow my path, which nobody is going to agree with, and on paper it doesn't look right, God goes, you looks like you're going lower. God goes, I'm just expanding you wider than you ever thought and doing something that you never thought can happen. God disguises paths to impact as backward steps. It'll seem like you're stepping backwards and God goes, no, 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 no. I'm preparing for what I'm shooting you into, for what I'm getting ready to do inside of your life. Here, here's the question. Why? You know why? Because God wants his servants to say yes to his voice, not to a position, a place, or a preference. Let me say that again. I added a bunch of words in there. God wants his servants to say yes to his voice, not position, place, or preference. It's God going, it's, I'm disguising this because I want you to obey my voice. And that's what God begins to do. That's why some people forget the will of God sometimes has a huge question mark to it. It's, it's, it's not an exclamation point going like, yes. It's usually a question mark. No one, this is what I found out about obedience. Not many times do I say it's about time. Most of the times I'm saying, are you serious? This is what you're asking me to do? That's, that's what I'm faced with. I'm not going, it's about time. I'm going like, what are you doing, God? Are you serious? This is what you're asking me to do? This is where you're bringing me? Philip, the Bible says in verse five, went down to the city of Samaria began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip. And as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing, for in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. But look what happens here. As they were preaching, 
the gospel to many of the villages of the Samaritans, there's, there's a full-scale revival that's happening. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up, go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem. You're going to go down on this one. You're already down. You're going to go further down. And this is a desert road. So he got up and went in the middle of preaching. God interrupts the preaching. And here's what's amazing, Times Square Church. There's no explanation, no vision. All he heard was desert road, go south, go down. And here's the, here is the, the only assurance that we have today to say yes. Faith never knows where it's being led, but it knows the one who's leading. It's the only thing we can bank on. Listen, I don't understand every time I've said yes, but all I know is I understand, but I love the one that is leading me and I trust him. I have a friend who means the world to me and has, has had such a great impact. He is probably, he is, he's, he's close to his 80s right now and still preaches to next gen and young people all around the world. He knew that God called him to preach to next gen. At that time, it wasn't called next gen. Um, but he knew he was to preach to, to junior high and teenagers and college kids um, when he was in his late teens, and now 60 years later, 60 plus years later, still does it. When, when he got saved in New Zealand, he got saved um, and became born again his senior year in high school. He was so on fire for God that, that he felt the conviction of God, but yet the leading of God like Brother Andrew, like Philip, to tell his whole high, school, whole high school about Jesus. But he felt like he wasted four years. And he felt God asking him to go for a second senior year to be an evangelist. Now, some of you are going, I know that's not God. That is definitely the devil. Because if some of you would have heard that, you would have said, I bind you, Satan. And so he felt it was the Lord. Goes back to the faculty of his high school and says, can I do one more senior year? The faculty said, there's no rule against it. You can come back and do all those classes one more time. He goes back and goes to his senior year a second time and wins to the Lord 75% of the student body to Christ on that moment, in that moment of his life. In 10 months, 75% of that high school come to Christ. His, his, his obedience has always been a challenge to me. And he said something powerful about this that I want you to see. This is what he said. He said, here's how the process goes with, with obedience. Let me, let me give it to you. It's very simple. He goes, God speaks. I obey, God explains, maybe. How many know that that maybe part is a big part? <laughs> okay, let me give it to you again. God speaks, I obey, God explains, maybe. And he said this. He said, Tim, he said, the problem is we want God to explain first before we take any step. We want explanation. Why do you want me to go to a desert road? Why do you want me to do my senior year again? Why do you want this? This is, this is the problem. And so our, our yes is not based on the one speaking to us. Our yes is based on the explanation. If that fits, if that's convenient enough for our life, if that's convenient enough for our schedule, God, does, God doesn't owe us explanations. And Philip got no explanation. He saw nothing, no vision, no re All Philip got was, was a location. Go to a desert road, go, and, and it's going to be on a, on a Gaza, in Gaza on its way to Jerusalem. I asked this other big, when I'm reading this passage, and I want you to get this, I asked this question, what if Philip delays? What if Philip goes, tell me why, give me an explanation, or I'm going to wait until I feel peace before I go to a desert road. Because on paper, it doesn't make sense. On paper, it looks like the arrow, is, the, the, the tension is being pulled back. It looks like I'm going, I'm getting a lesser place because I'm leading a city revival and now you're asking me to go to, go to a desert road. I don't even know who's going to be there. But once again, I, I, don't, I don't know, faith doesn't know where it's being led, but it knows the one who's leading it. So what if, Verse 27 doesn't come after verse 26, Times Square Church. What if Philip, 
asks for explanations. Or let me just say it like this. What if Philip is comfortable with what God is doing and uncomfortable with what God and where God wants him to be? And all of a sudden, it's not based on on what God is saying. It's based on what Philip sees, doesn't see, what Philip understands or doesn't even understand. Let me, let me explain it to you why this is such an important question. Something is about to happen in the next few weeks that is going to affect Sundays all over America. Those that are watching online may not understand this, but there's something coming um, in probably the next three to four, probably about four weeks that all of Sundays will get affected. It is called the NFL. So football is happening on Sundays where all of a sudden it infiltrates Sunday. All of a sudden men get sick on Saturday nights and don't feel like they can make it to church based on what's happening in the Meadowlands and other things that are happening um, with teams. NFL, for those around the world, it's American football. Um, There is, I'm not a huge football fan, but I've got friends that are connected, um, and there's something that I learned, in, and it's this. It is an offensive strategy between a quarterback and a receiver, and it's in a phrase that, that, that I want to help you with today because I think it's, it, it applies to the story, and it's this. There is a strategy in order to gain yardage and to get that ball across to cross the goal line, and it's called timing patterns. Timing patterns. Let me explain real quickly what a timing pattern. It's based upon the receiver being in a certain location and the ball already on its way there while he is running to, running to the place. It's not the quarterback watching where the receiver is going. It's the quarterback throwing to a spot, a place. I'm going to pretend I know something, but I don't. Or throwing it to a hash mark. I don't know what I'm talking about. On the field. It is that moment that the quarterback is not looking at a receiver. He is taking his three to five second drop back, and then he looks at a spot and says, I'm throwing it there. Now, that receiver has to get through every obstacle, every defensive back, every single thing that's in his way, and says, I know I have X amount of seconds because that ball is going to be there. I can't waste time deciding I don't like that play. I don't want to do that. It was much nicer drinking Gatorade on the bench. I like when we were in there and we're fist pounding everybody and everything was good and everything was there. This man doesn't have that. The ball is going to be there and that man has a responsibility to not get explanations. The play has been called. You better show up there because that ball is going to land there. That ball is going to be there. Folks, listen to me carefully. Philip was on a timing pattern because that timing pattern had a moving target that if Philip was sitting there and delayed anything, God saw a spot on the globe he was intending to visit. And one of his players had to get to a desert road first in order for that for that vision to cross over the goal line. The hash mark, the desert road, was the beginning, you ready for this? To get the gospel into an entire continent called Africa. That if God, if Philip doesn't get to his spot, then that goal line doesn't begin to happen the way it's happening today. I'll get to that in a few moments. Philip was running a timing pattern. He needed to be at a certain place because The target was moving. The spot on the field of the timing pattern on the desert road was a chariot with an Ethiopian driver reading Isaiah 53. That's where he needed to show up. God goes, you don't have time to get explanations. Leave Samaria. Get to the desert road. Well, who's going to be there? Be quiet. Go. He's moving. He's just left Jerusalem. You don't have any moment here to ask me for explanations. Think about this, church. Not only is Philip leaving the city, he's leaving with no explanations, and he's, he has a moving target. One guy, that's why your understanding of what you're being asked 
doesn't determine whether you should be obedient. You don't understand it. I don't have to understand it. I just have to know God told me to do this. That's it. That's what happened. And then you know what the exciting part is? The excitement of obedience is finding out what God later had in mind. He doesn't know what God had in mind on this. Listen to it. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasures, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit, this is a good moment here, verse 29. Then the spirit said to him, it's amazing. He has, he has just gone down. Now the spirit's about to say, now I'm going to start moving you up. Go up and join the chariot. Can you imagine this? You're waiting here on this desert road and you're hearing the hoofs, and you're hearing the, the I was going to say hoof prints, hoof marks, hoof, hoof feet, whatever. And all of a sudden, the horses, this is a New York kid trying to tell you about horses and everything else. The only horses I know about are in Central Park. So if you're watching online, we don't know horses. And all of a sudden, you're starting to hear a horse coming by, a chariot, and then all of a sudden, God says, get up there and join him. Can you imagine him at that moment going, I was in a revival, people are getting saved, now I'm running next to chariots, trying to jump up there, and here's what happens. What's amazing is this, because when you obey the first step, when you, get, when you obey first, I think you get more direction. When you say yes to one thing, God will keep giving you direction. The voice of God becomes clearer. Go down to a desert road, all right, what do you want me to do? Get up on that chariot. And while he is on that chariot, Philip ran up, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter. This is the prophecy of Jesus. As a lamb before cheerers is silent, so he doesn't open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his, gener who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. Then the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or someone else? And I love this part. Then Philip opened his mouth, beginning from scripture, preached Jesus to him. All of a sudden, the excitement starts to unfold. I just had to be at that hash mark. I had a, had a timing pattern. I needed to be there. Who would have thought that the treasurer from Candace's court, the queen of Ethiopia, was sitting in a chariot, a Bible in his hand, didn't know what it meant. I preached Jesus to him. What happens? Verse 36. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your hearts, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Hallelujah. And he ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. That was it, folks. One guy believes, one conversation, one guy, and one water baptism. But here's the part I want you to understand. Jot this down. You never know what's on the other side of your obedience. You never know that step that you take, what's on the other side. God said to go to a, to a road. Then God said to get up on the chariot. That's all I know what to do. It's one conversation, one conversion, one water baptism, and that's all I did. That's it. I don't know what the rest is. When we were in Detroit, there was this strange logo on the back of cars that I never understood until I literally looked up the, the meaning of it. I, I, did, I, I just didn't understand why this would be put back there. Chevy had a car, and on the back, on the trunk, they had Chevy, and they put this, this logo of a deer on the back. I was going, what is this, a Chevy deer? Like, what is that? And it was called the Chevy Impala. It wasn't a deer. A deer is an American animal. Impala is an African deer, which is only about three feet high. 
The thing that's amazing about these African Impala is they can jump, you ready for this? 30, here it comes, they can jump 30 yards in, in, in length and they can jump 10 yards in the air. Think of that. That's what these things, when you've seen them, you've seen them on, on, on shows, they're the ones that are prancing across, across the, 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 um, the African landscape. These, these impala that can jump effortlessly. But here's what's amazing. I saw them in the Detroit Zoo. And this is what blew me away. They put up a four-foot wall, and they were all walking around, and none, all of them were stuck. And, I'm, and, I, and I was telling the impala, I've read about you. You can jump over this wall. They... These, these, this zoo has you duped. You can get out of here. All of you, be free. Run, jump, do something. Nothing. They ate grass. That's it. And I just looked at them and said, you deserve to be here. That's what I said. You have the ability. You have the ability to get out of here. And here's what I forgot to tell the Impala. <laughs> they will not jump if they can't see where it's going. And they're smart enough to put a four-foot wall for a three-foot animal because he can't see ahead and they'll never jump. And some of us are sitting here because you don't understand what's ahead. You're sitting there eating grass. And I'm telling you, it's about time to go... I don't know. If God tells me to jump, then we jump, and then God is in charge from that point on. And you know what happened on that day? Philip jumped. Philip leaped over the wall and said, I don't know what's on the other side of this Gaza jump, but I'm going to do it. And one conversation, one conversion, one baptism, and here's what's amazing. Here it comes, folks. One conversion, one conversation changes a continent. You have South Africa online with us today. You have Angola online with us today. You have Uganda and Nigeria online with us today, all because of this conversation. Because of this conversation. He didn't know what was on the other side of this. It looked like a step backwards, but God was going, if you let me pull this backwards, I'm about to shoot this arrow straight into the an entire continent. Don't get stuck in Samaria songs. When I want to begin to open up the entire net, you ready for this? Today, the continent of Africa has over a billion people, 1.2 billion people. And this is the latest statistic I just read this week. Right now, there are close to 700 million Christians in Africa today. Almost seven, and they said that number is about to go up even higher to 760 million in the next couple of years. I was reading the article in the Wall Street Journal on their weekend religious section, and they talked about Christianity in Africa and how it's expanding. And not only does the Wall Street Journal, they're quoting Christian historians. Wall Street Journal said, the gospel getting into Africa started from a conversation on a desert road by a guy named Philip that all of a sudden brought the gospel to Africa, Ethiopia, through an Ethiopian eunuch. It was Philip having a conversation, baptizing him. So when the Ethiopian went back, he started to tell other folks. We would, we would think today it's just a one conversation and one water baptism, but in God's mind, it was one continent that was going to be affected by one conversation. And what if Philip is sitting here going like, hey, I'm a revivalist. Hey, I got this position. Hey, what are you doing? And God's going, if you just obey me, I'm pulling you back because I'm doing something that is going to be so powerful that you don't understand. Thank God he got up and went. And can I tell you what makes me even more excited here today? I love that it was a eunuch that was the one that brought the gospel to Africa. You know why? Physically, a eunuch can't have any children. He doesn't need any children because when that man gets to heaven, 
It's not just about physical children. It's spiritual children. And I could see that Ethiopian eunuch showing up in heaven one day going, I have no family. I have no family. I have no family. And 780 million Africans are waiting there going, I am here in heaven because you let a man on your chariot. Listen, folks, that was big enough for me. Listen, we in New York, if some guy's running alongside of our car, you're not letting him in your car. So that Ethiopian, if he's sitting there and there's a guy running next to me, one of those, one of those old former deacons in Acts chapter 6, I'm going, hey, bro, here's some money. Go to Times Square Church, but you're not getting up in my chariot. He led him in the chariot. And who knew that that man coming into the chariot would open up the way for the gospel for 785 million souls that are saved today because of one conversation. Do you understand what God is able to do? What God can do even right now. One obedient man, a step of yes, one conversation. He allowed himself to go backwards. Times Square Church, it's even for us, for where God is bringing us. I'm so thankful for how God has used David Wilkerson. Oh, I'm going to tell you his story in a second because he epitomizes this. I'm so grateful for how God used Carter Conlon. And as we walk into this brand new season, it's a challenge for us. It's God going, it's God saying this, don't, don't get stuck in one place when God's going, we're moving forward. We're moving into this way. You, it may be new, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. It's God going, I want to touch the nations. I want to touch the world. I want to touch all. But in order to do that, I'm going to ask you to jump over a wall that you may be brand new and unfamiliar to you. It's unfamiliar, but on the other side of that wall, like for Philip, there's an Ethiopian in a chariot. There's some of you that are sitting here today that maybe you're next gen. And God is wanting you, when I think of Stan and Natasha and Grant and Emily and the 212 camp that's coming up, you saw it on the, on, the, on the opening announcements. And who knows what one conversation when you just go, hey, why don't you come with me to this camp this week? Why don't you come with me? Who knows what one conversation could do? Or come with me to 212 on a Friday night. Who knows what can happen if you begin to kind of go over the wall that maybe you're unfamiliar with called Next Steps on a Thursday night to say, I, I don't know what can happen. Maybe I can. Maybe the chariot is a connect group, leading a connect group. And you're going, oh my goodness, I don't know. Maybe it's a chariot. Who knows what Ethiopian will be in your connect group? Who knows that who's going to sit at that one conversation, one moment when you pray with them, who knows what God may open up? God was telling Philip, don't get stuck on Samaria. I'm about to open up a continent. Don't get stuck on a city. I'm about to open up the world. See, that's why this is so important what God wants to do. Let me close with this as the musicians come. Every time I say, yes, Lord, every time I say, yes, Lord, it's way bigger than you can ever think. It's way bigger than you can ever think. If I say yes to an apology, yes to maybe even breaking off a relationship, yes to moving to New York City, yes to start reading the Bible every single morning, yes to even coming to prayer and fasting night, saying I'll be here on Sunday. It's going to be a long day, but I'll be here. I'll be here on Monday. Maybe it's leading that connect group or being part of next steps. Maybe it's yes, Lord, to evangelizing, telling maybe someone in your apartment building about Christ. Maybe it's yes to getting water baptized as we get ready for the next set of water baptisms in the fall. And even more importantly, maybe it's yes to being born again. And it may even be, you ready for this? Sometimes our yes, Lord, is for stopping something that we're doing. Sometimes it's yes for stopping. This is where I want to finish. Let me tell you one final story. One man's yes which was way bigger than he thought. The founder of Times Square Church is David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson had no idea what his yes would be. This is, he didn't see the future, he didn't see what was gonna happen, he didn't, he didn't know what was on the other side of all. All he knew was God spoke to him. God spoke to David Wilkerson and said, I want you to stop watching TV each night. 
He said he found himself watching every night. He was watching just a talk show. It, we, we, would, we would call it, it would, it would be Jimmy Kimmel or, or Conan or whoever. At that time, I grew up with this. I'm, I just started to realize how old I am is Johnny Carson. Some, some of you already knew I was going to mention that name. This is, this is some of the old folks who are here today. Um, and Brother Dave heard in the early 50s, stop watching that. Just stop. That, he didn't know what was on the other side of that. So sometimes, sometimes your yes, Lord, is to stop something. But every time you say yes, Lord, it's way bigger than you think. It's way bigger. David Wilkerson stops. He turns off his TV set and he sells it. He gets rid of his television set. And he says one of those nights in his book, The Cross and the Switchblade, that one night that he would have been watching TV, he says he had a Life magazine in front of him. And on the cover of it was a New York City cover. Seven Egyptian dragon gang members who brutally killed a quadriplegic boy who was in a wheelchair in Central Park. Killed them. And they were standing trial. And that night, because he turned off the TV set, God spoke to him like he did for Brother Andrew. God spoke to him like he did for Philip. And there was this timing pattern that God spoke to him and says, go to New York City and get there for the trial. Brother Dave leaves his Samaria, his church, Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania was Samaria. The desert road was the Jersey Turnpike. And little did he know that he needed to be at that trial, but he would never speak to those seven boys because God was doing something. He needed him to show up a picture taken of him trying to interrupt the trial with a Bible in his hand. But God goes, I just need that picture on the front of the newspaper, but that's not who you're going to talk to. There's a gang member in Brooklyn who's leading the Mau Mau's and his name is Nikki Cruz. He says, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, all I need you to do is say yes. I don't need you to orchestrate it. I don't need you to come up with your own. Just keep saying yes. And who knew that that yes to go to New York, leave Phillipsburg, would end up sharing the gospel with the warlord, Nikki Cruz, the Mau Mau's. And who would have thought that that yes was going to take what God was going to do through David Wilkerson much larger than Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania? Who knew that God, through that conversion, like an Ethiopian eunuch, would open up teen challenge centers around the world, starting in Clinton Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, now to 1,200 programs in 80 nations around the world because somebody said yes. Who would have thought that out of teen challenge would come world challenge, which David Wilkerson and Gary Wilkerson would begin to train pastors and speak to leaders around the world and begin to, to, to do feeding programs around the world in almost a hundred different countries. And who would have thought that one yes would then begin to start Times Square Church that you are sitting here today because someone was willing to leave Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. It may take you for getting up out of your seat and going, I'm going to go to the next step. I'm going to go and connect. I'm going to go and get my heart right with God. I'm going to do. Who knows what God has for you? But just say yes. It's way bigger than you think. When you say yes to God, who knows who's going to be affected? And the greatest thing that can ever happen is this. The greatest challenge is when you say yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ today. To be born again, let me tell you, things can happen in your life in your family, in those around you. But more importantly, when you say yes, you want to know how big it is? It begins to affect your entire eternity. Eternity. We have a rule here at Times Square Church. Here it is. When people hear the word born again, no one's looking for their keys or their parking tickets. They're not thinking about being first online so they can get their car in that elevator that always gets stuck. They're thinking this. When I hear born again, and if I know I have a relationship with Jesus, this is the best time for me to pray right now because heaven and hell are in the balance. That's what we do. So here's the moment. 
Here's the challenge to get up and go. Here's the challenge for your life to be absolutely changed, way bigger than you think. Here it is. Your eternity is at stake because here's what the Bible says. Here's the command. Here's the word that Jesus is speaking over everyone here and everyone that's watching, whether you're watching from the UK or the Philippines. I want to speak to you who's watching even in Kyrgyzstan at midnight. Maybe God is going to begin to come and do something special in your country right now. For those in Angola and those in South Africa and those on 51st and Broadway, here is what Jesus said in John 3, 7. Jesus says these words, you must be born again. What he was saying was, don't make optional what is a command from Jesus. Don't decide if this is Jesus saying to us, this is a timing pattern. This is a timing pattern. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? None of us have an assurance that we're going to be here next year, let alone next week. None of us know that. Folks, let's just be honest. In a in a hundred years, you're not going to be here. Some of you are going like, but I work out. Okay, listen. Let me just tell you this. You can eat all the wheatgrass, collagen, almond milk you want. So whether it's almond milk or Twinkies, you're not going to be here in a hundred years. Let me just tell you that right now. Probably some of you in 50 years, you're not going to be here. You're just going, but I eat healthy. I do supplements. It doesn't matter. You're not going to be. But the question is this. Because you can't prolong, here it comes, because you can't be in charge of your forever, what I'm about to tell you, your yes will change your forever today. You can be born again today. What, what does that mean, Pastor Tim? What Jesus is inviting you to do is to secure your eternity. Because he said this, no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. Jesus' words, not mine. Born again is not a Protestant word. It's not a Catholic word. It's not a religious word. It is a Jesus word. Those two phrases come from Jesus. Born again. Those two verses from Jesus. So what does that mean, Pastor Tim? Jesus was saying this. Just as you had a first birth physically, you need a second birth spiritually. Many of you were born in a hospital. And Jesus said, that's your birth date. But in order to get to heaven you got to have more than a birth date. You have to have a spiritual birth date. That's when God does something on the inside. That's when God begins to come and change us from the inside out. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? It's inviting him in. Okay, I'm intrigued. How does that happen? Well, it's simple. It's as simple as ABC. Each of those letters means something. A, admitting that we're sinners. You have to start there. Because if you don't admit that you're a sinner then you're just adding Jesus to your life. You have to understand that I am a sinner. I'm broken on the inside. The diagnosis is sin, and I can't fix me with a priest, a pastor, a promise, a program. I can't fix him with a synagogue. I can't fix him with a mosque. There's not a chapel around the world that can fix him, that can fix the sin issue. I need help. I don't need a second chance. I need a second birth. How does that happen? That's the B word, believe. Believe that God sent his son 2,000 years ago to fix my sinful condition. Remember we read it in Philippians 2? You know what the greatest news is? Is that Jesus went down, 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 down. So you can go up, 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 up. He did that for you today. That's what he did. You can have a changed life today. He died for you. If you can get yourself to heaven by, by, by being good, then Jesus would never have to come. We needed him to die the death we were supposed to die, live the life we couldn't live, and give us a reward none of us deserve, forgiveness in heaven. And finally, at sea, confessing him as Lord. What does that mean, Pastor Tim? That means this. It means that God, when he came to change us, he didn't come to change us just so he can get Mondays, I mean, sorry, Sundays for you to sit in a building on a Sunday. That's not why he came. When you confess him as Lord, you're saying you don't get Sundays. Every day belongs to you. See, coming to church on Sunday, that's religion. Being born again is a relationship. That's why if you're visiting here from another country, Christianity isn't coming to a place. It's coming to a person. So that means this. I hate to tell people that think that Jesus lives in Times Square Church. He doesn't. 
He lives in me. He lives in you. So here's what's the good news. So if you're from Brazil or you're from Colombia or if you're from Puerto Rico and you got to leave and go home on Monday, let me just tell you something. Guess what? Jesus can go with you. You don't have to be here to have Jesus. He can change you right now in this place. All right, Pastor Tim, how does that happen? Here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. Those that are watching online, it's the most important decision I can, most important question I can ask you. Have you been born again? Today, I want to pray a born again prayer. And if you're sitting in this place to say, Pastor Tim, I want to be part of that prayer. I want to start a journey with God today. I want God in my life. I want God to change me from the inside out. I want to give my yes, which is way bigger than I can ever imagine. Your yes to being born again changes everything. It changes you, your family, your marriage, your children. It changes your eternity. And today it's way bigger than you can ever imagine. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born again part, I want, I want to say yes to that. Watching online, you can make that decision by just typing that word decide in there. And if you're here today and say, I want to be part of that with every head bowed and every eye closed without any hesitation, because if there was a hesitation between verse 26 and 27, who knows if Philip would have missed the Ethiopian chariot driver, but he didn't. And I'm going to ask you not to hesitate. If that's you and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born again prayer, I want to be part of it without any hesitation. Would you hold up your hand and say, pray, put me in that prayer today. Hold it up high. I want to make sure I see every hand that's up. Keep it up as high as you can and make sure I can see it. There's one, two, three, four, five. Keep them up. Six. Got you back there. Seven. I want to make sure I got everybody. Eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. That's fantastic. 13, 14. 15, 16. That's awesome. You can put your hands back at 17. Got you over there. And if you're online, you can go ahead and just type the word decided. That's the way you put up your hand. Come on. I want us all to pray with these 17 people that are here today. Come on. Can we all say this together? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Okay, let's say this loud now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.